section twenty two of heroines of fiction by william dean howells this librivox recording is in the public domain variations of reed's type of heroines the absence of anything like a philosophic criticism in england must account for the antics and aberrations of english novelists who were greatly gifted but wholly undisciplined and who let themselves go to the bounds of their eccentricities because they were aware of no law that they need stand in fear of several of the greatest like jane austen anthony trollope thomas hardy and george moore have been so admirably tempered by nature that they could not help being artists worthy of any continental school amidst the prevailing aesthetic anarchy of their native island where there is no school where criticism is arbitrary and personal where there are no ideals but only standards no principles but only preferences i have to note the lamentable results of these conditions in the case of nearly all the english novelists except those i have named in the case of such a novelist as charles reed a powerful but most wilful talent they are comically disastrous the final complexion of their tragedy is boof charles reed was as nobly intentioned as any novelist who has written he imagined his vocation to be painting truly from nature to be as mr james defines the office of fiction the representation of life yet for want of a principled criticism he could never understand that the painter has no business in the picture the dramatist has no business on the stage he is forever at your elbow as you read audibly directing your attention to this and that surprising fact winking to you sticking his tongue in his cheek and clucking to make you notice he is not as bad as thackeray who spoils the illusion by whispering you that the whole thing is make-believe he is faithful to his own fancy at least but he is of a worse literary taste and in his anxiety to show you how full of drama the real world is he drags in raw incident by the hair and makes a newspaper of his page one charles reed was not helplessly a dramatist like charles dickens who brought the theatre into life but he saw life so dramatically that he was consciously arranging it for the theatre at every moment and his novels were often confessedly as eventually they often became plays and very good plays i have seldom seen a better melodrama than foul play which is also a most delightful story with a heroine in helen rolleston who is of the author's very best sort and almost fit to match with margaret in the cloister and the hearth margaret indeed is his finest creation being less mechanically operated less of a jill in the box more vitalized from within than the others she is very sweet and simple and noble and is found a true woman in that remote mediaeval twilight where she obediently abides without insubordinately getting over into the glare of modern times as people in historical novels are apt to do upon the whole i think that book charles reed's greatest book at least in a show of the past which must always be a gymnastic his ground and lofty tumbling is not so offensive there as it is amidst a representation of actual life but all his novels bear reading again after many years they are 
no more boyish now than they were at first they were never as deep as wells nor as wide as church doors but they served served to surprise to amuse almost to convince a terrible temptation is a mighty good book with a charming heroine and put yourself in his place is another so is griffith gaunt catherine gaunt is finely imagined it is never too late to mend is a good story but the heroine has not remained with me i dare say she would come back with a little coaxing two i am not sure whether peg woffington is to be put among the author's minor works or not but as an historical novel dealing with the nature of an actress it has every chance of falling very low in the scale of fiction perhaps however one condition of unreality offsets the other and the theatricality neutralizes the historicality at any rate the result is a story which if not true is such a story as every actress could wish to be true what better could the histrionic heart desire than the case of a country gentleman leaving his young bride behind him and coming for a few days on business up to london where he falls in love with the divine mistress waffington and remains wooing and winning her for weeks and months till the neglected wife follows him to town and finds him giving a dinner to la peg as reed would call her and throws herself on mistress waffington's mercy there is a situation which no woman need be long upon the stage to find exquisitely natural if you add the fact that peg has never known her lover was married it is almost too natural for the eclaircissement what could be more profitable and feasible than for mabel vane to seek her rival in the studio of the scene painter who was doing her portrait and there succeed an audience of connoisseurs who have been trapped into criticising mrs woffington's real face in the hole cut out of the canvas where the painted face was the connoisseurs have been mocked and driven out by the actress who has hidden behind her portrait when the hapless wife appears and who now puts back her face into the hole in the canvas the better to witness the scene between the painter and her rival mrs vane pours out her artless tale of grief to the powerless triplet and avows her purpose of trying to see mrs woffington and appeal to her as her sole hope at this moment in spite of triplet's precaution mrs vane casting her eye accidentally round caught sight of the picture and instantly started up crying she is there triplet was thunderstruck what a likeness cried she and moved towards the supposed picture don't go to it cried triplet aghast the colour is wet she stopped but her eye and her very soul dwelt upon the supposed picture and triplet stood quaking how like it seems to breathe you are a great painter sir a glass is not truer triplet hardly knowing what he said muttered something about critics and lights and shades then they are blind cried mabel never for a moment removing her eye from the object tell me not of lights and shades the pictures i see have a look of paint but yours looks like life oh that she were here as this wonderful image of hers is i would speak to her i am not wise or learned but orators never pleaded as i would plead to her for my earnest's heart still her eye glanced upon the picture and i suppose her heart realized an actual presence though her judgment did not for by some irresistible impulse she sank slowly down and stretched her clasped hands towards it while sobs and words seemed to break direct from her bursting heart 
oh yes you are beautiful you are gifted and the eyes of thousands wait upon your very word and look what wonder that he ardent refined and genial should lay his heart at your feet and i have nothing but my love to make him love me i cannot take him from you oh be generous to the weak oh give him back to me what is one heart more to you you are so rich and i am so poor that without his love i have nothing and can do nothing but sit me down and cry till my heart breaks give him back to me beautiful terrible woman for with all your gifts you cannot love him as his poor mabel does and i will love you longer perhaps than men can love i will kiss your feet and heaven above will bless you and i will bless you and pray for you to my dying day ah it is alive i am frightened i am frightened she ran to triplet and seized his arm no cried she quivering close to him i am not frightened for it was for me she oh mrs woffington and hiding her face on mr triplet's shoulder she blushed and wept and trembled what was it had betrayed mrs woffington a tear during the whole of this interview which had taken a turn so unlooked for by the listener she might have said with beatrice what fire is in mine ears and what self-reproach and chill misgiving in her heart too she had passed through a hundred emotions as the young innocent wife told her sad and simple story but anxious now above all things to escape without being recognized for she had long repented having listened at all or placed herself in her present position she fiercely mastered her countenance but though she ruled her features she could not rule her heart and when the young wife instead of inveighing against her came to her as a supplicant with faith in her goodness and sobbed to her for pity a big tear rolled down her cheek and proved her something more than a picture or an actress mrs vane as we have related screamed and ran to triplet mrs woffington came instantly from her frame and stood before them in a despairing attitude with one hand upon her brow for a single moment her impulse was to fly from the apartment so ashamed was she of having listened and of meeting her rival in this way but she conquered this feeling and as soon as she saw mrs vane too had recovered some composure she said to triplet in a low but firm voice leave us sir no living creature must hear what i say to this lady three this is quite as an actress would wish things to be and they fall out in this wise so often on the stage that the great wonder is they have never begun falling out so in life yet the time must come for that if the stage only keeps on and in the meanwhile it must be owned that in the less dramatic moments of the story the nature of la peg it is impossible to escape the contagion of the author's example is studied much more in the light of fact she is of really a far simpler nature than many women who are actresses merely off the stage the actress has had her disillusions but she lives in a world of illusions and when one is gone she goes and gets more from the vast property-room of fable without having been a very good woman reads peg woffington is never so bad as not to wish being better she has her dream of being purely loved and is willing to love so again and in her trust of vain she has given him her heart that is the pity of it and the probability but there perhaps the fable parts company with fact would the actress in real life if she is ever there give back the foolish husband to the faithful wife this may be too much to ask of any one profession but in the world at large would she do it this may be too much to ask of any one sex 
probability was what reed was always trying to get away from and he justified himself by the example of reality as recorded in the manifold incidents of the voluminous scrap-books of newspaper cuttings which he kept his simple philosophy was that the marvellous the bizarre the high heroic the monstrous was fit material for art because it was to be found in experience and that it was preferable to the wonted aspect of life so his books put together of characters and events which could every one be matched in contemporaneous history and wearing the air of lively reality failed to convince the reader that the things in them happened or persuade him no longer than a thrilling passage on the stage people were very primitive in the early fifties and author and public both accepted a convention of fiction which no author or public of prime quality would accept now though it still embodies the creed of those who write and read the novels which sell their half millions to-day in reed's books it is a comedy convention for except the cloister and the hearth the greatest of them all they all end well and we are expected to suppose every manner of substantiated facts which would be important if true the range of his later novels includes many exciting interests such as deportations and shipwrecks labor strikes abuses in private insane asylums and doings in gold diggings but after all these have not the charm of such an earlier story as christy johnstone which deals with a series of sweet impossibilities among gentlefolk and simple folk in the little scotch fishing town of new haven it is such a very early book that i may safely trust the elder reader's oblivion and the younger reader's ignorance for my excuse if i briefly sketch the plot lord ipsden crossed in love with his cousin lady barbara and sick from it goes down to new haven with the famous doctor's prescription directing him to get well by doing good among the poor just about the time that charles gaddy a youthful artist full of the new truth that you must paint life from life has set up his easel in the same port and has there given his heart for that of christy johnstone the prettiest fishing lass of the place lord ipsden does good right and left with an unsparing hand in drawing cheques he early makes the acquaintance of christie and at a hint from her goes and buys pictures of gaddy who is on the point of imprisonment for debt at the same time that christie herself surprises a school of herring unknown to other fisher-folk and comes to her lover with the money for them but before this gaddy's mother who has been a cook and is a cockney has heard of christie and has appeared to prevent his marrying beneath him through lord ipsden's beneficence she is able to thank christie kindly and tell her that she and her son do not need her herring money and nothing then remains for christie to do but to save gaddy's life and she promptly manages this by putting out in her boat and rescuing him from a flood-tide such as is apt to overtake people in fiction his mother then naturally gives way and at the same moment lady barbara who has always wanted to marry an earnest man convinces herself of lord ipsden's earnestness and marries him four in order to begin doing good as soon as possible lord ipsden has his valet go out and get him some of the lower orders directly after his arrival in new haven and saunders returns with christy johnstone and her friend jean carney on their heads they wore caps of dutch or flemish origin with a broad lace border stiffened and arched over the forehead about three inches high leaving the brow and cheeks unencumbered 
they had cotton jackets bright red and yellow mixed in patterns confined at the waist by the apron strings but bobtailed below the waist short woollen petticoats with broad vertical stripes red and white most vivid in colour white worsted stockings and neat though high quartered shoes under their jackets they wore a thick spotted cotton handkerchief about one inch of which was visible round the lower part of the throat of their petticoats the outer one was kilted or gathered up towards the front and the second of the same colour hung in the usual way of these young women one had an olive complexion with the red blood mantling under it and black hair and glorious black eyebrows the other was fair with a massive but shapely throat as white as milk glossy brown hair the loose threads of which glittered like gold and a blue eye which being contrasted with dark eyebrows and lashes took the luminous effect peculiar to that rare beauty their short petticoats revealed a neat ankle and a leg with a noble swell for nature when she is in earnest builds beauty on the ideals of ancient sculptors and poets not of modern poetasters who with their airy like sylphs and their smoke-like verses fight for want of flesh in woman and want of fact in poetry as parallel beauties they are my lads continue these women had a grand corporeal trait they had never known a corset so they were straight as javelins they could lift their hands above their heads actually their supple persons moved as nature intended every gesture was ease grace and freedom what with their own radiance and the snowy cleanliness and brightness of their costume they came like meteors into the apartment lord ipston rising gently from his seat with the same quiet politeness with which he would have received two princes of the blood said how do you do and smiled a welcome fine how's yourself answered the dark lass whose name was jean carney and whose voice was not so sweet as her face what in lord are ye continued she are you a juke i wad like fine to hae a crack we a juke saunders who knew himself the cause of this question replied sotto voce his lordship is a viscount i didn't account was jean's remark but it has a bonny sound what mare would ye hae said the fair beauty whose name was christy johnstone then appealing to his lordship as the likeliest to know she added nobility is just assumed itself i'm told the viscount finding himself expected to say something on a topic he had not attended much to answered dryly we must ask the republicans they are the people that give their minds to such subjects the fair lass who had watched the viscount all this time as demurely as a cat cream now approached him this young woman was the thinker her voice was also rich full and melodious and her manner very engaging it was half advancing half retiring not easy to resist or to describe new said she with a very slight blush stealing across her face ye maun let me catechise ye woe ye the last two words were said in a way that would have induced a bear to reveal his winter residence he smiled assent saunders retired to the door and excluding every shade of curiosity from his face took an attitude half majesty half obsequiousness christie stood by lord ipston with one hand on her hip the knuckles downwards but graceful as antinous and began who muckle is the queen greater than ye are his lordship was obliged to reflect let me see as is the moon to a wax taper so is her majesty the queen to you and me and the rest 
new said the fair inquisitor ye shall tell me how ye came to be lords your family five hundred years ago listen jean said christie we gone to get a bony story five hundred years ago added she with interest and awe was a great battle resumed the narrator in cheerful tones as one larking with history between a king of england and his rebels he was in the thick of the fight that's the king jean he was in the thick of't my ancestor killed a fellow who was sneaking behind him but the next moment a man-at-arms prepared a thrust at his majesty who had his hands full with three assailants eh that's no fair said christie as sure as dee my ancestor dashed forward and as the king's sword passed through one of them he clove another to the waist with a blow weel done weel done a weel i hae gotten a heap out o ye say no i'll gang since ye are no for herrin come away jean at this their host remonstrated and inquired why boars are at one service night and day and bright people are always in a hurry he was informed in reply labour is the lot o man div ye no ken that muckle and aboon a o women why what can two such pretty creatures have to do except to be admired this question coming within the dark beauty's scope she hastened to reply to sell our heron we hae three hundred left in the creel what is the price at this question the poetry died out of christie johnstone's face she gave her companion a rapid look indiscernible by male eye and answered three a penny sir they are no plenty the day added she in smooth tones that carried conviction little liar they were selling six a penny everywhere saunders buy them all and be ever so long about it count them or some nonsense he's daft he's daft oh ye ken jean an englishman and a lord twa daft things together he couldna miss the road coont them lassie come away sandy till i count them till ye said jean saunders and jean disappeared business being out of sight curiosity revived and what brings ye here from london if ye please recommenced the fair inquisitor you have a good countenance there is something in your face i could find it in my heart to tell you but i should bore you de eel a fear bore me bore me wha at's that i wonder what is your name madam mine is ipston they call me christy johnstone well christy johnstone i am under the doctor's hands pure lad what's the trouble solemnly and tenderly ennui rather piteously yon we i never heerd tell us oh you lucky girl burst out he but the doctor has undertaken to cure me in one thing you could assist me if i am not presuming too far on our short acquaintance i am to relieve one poor distressed person every day but i mustn't do two is not that a bore geese your hand geese your hand i'm vexed for calling you daft heck what a soft hand ye hae jean i'm saying come here feel this jean who had run in took the viscount's hand from christie it never rocks any explained jean and he has bonny hair said christie just touching his locks on the other side he's a bonny lad said jean inspecting him scientifically and point blank of course this is playing to the gallery openly but not so very grossly and although the human nature is as impossible as the wit and caprice in the circumstances it is still human nature it represents the heroine 
in thoughtful repose but if the reader is of a mind to see her in high dramatic action here is the scene of her rescuing gaddy from the high tide to which he has heedlessly committed himself the poor fellow whom sandy by aid of his glass now discovered to be in a worn-out condition was about half a mile east of new haven pierhead and unfortunately the wind was nearly due east christie was standing north-northeast her boat-hook jammed against the sail which stood as flat as a knife the natives of the old town were now seen pouring down to the pier and the beach and strangers were collecting like bees that boat is not going to the poor man said mrs gaddy it is turning its back upon him she cannot lie in the wind's eye for as clever as she is answered a fishwife i ken what it is suddenly squeaked a little fishwife it's christy johnstone's lad it's yon daft painter fra england heck cried she suddenly observing mrs gaddy it's your son woman the unfortunate woman gave a fearful scream and flying like a tiger on liston commanded him to go straight out to sea and save her son jean carney seized her arm div ye see yon boat cried she and div ye mind christie the lass was herit ye hay broken a wheel woman it's just a race between deeth and christie johnstone for your son the poor old woman swooned dead away they carried her into christie johnstone's house and laid her down then hurried back the greater terror absorbed the less lady barbara sinclair was there from leith and seeing lord ipston standing in the boat with a fisherman she asked him to tell her what it was neither he nor any one answered her why doesn't she come about liston cried lord ipston stamping with anxiety and impatience she'll no be lang said sandy but they'll mak a mess o't with ne'er a man in the boat ye're sure o that put in a woman ay about she comes said liston as the sail came down on the first tack he was mistaken they dipped the lug as cleverly as any man in the town could heck look at her hauling on the rope like a mon cried a woman the sail flew up on the other tack she'll no let him dee ah uh, she's in the bows hailing him and waving the lad's bonnet o'er her head to gee him courage good bless ye lass good bless ye christie knew it was no use hailing him against the wind but the moment she got the wind she darted into the bows and pitched in its highest key her full and brilliant voice after a moment of suspense she received proof that she must be heard by him for on the pier now hung men and women clustered like bees breathless with anxiety and the moment after she hailed the drowning man she saw and heard a wild yell of applause burst from the pier and the pier was more distant than the man she snatched flucker's cap planted her foot on the gunwale held on by a rope hailed the poor fellow again and waved the cap round and round her head to give him courage and in a moment at the sight of this thousands of voices thundered back their cheers to her across the water blow wind spring boat and you christie still ring life towards those despairing ears and wave hope to those sinking eyes cheer the boat on you thousands that look upon this action hurrah from the pier hurrah from the town hurrah from the shore hurrah now from the very ships in the roads whose crews are swarming on the yards to look five minutes ago they laughed at you three thousand eyes and hearts hang upon you now ay these are the moments we live for and now dead silence the boat is within fifty yards they are all three consulting together round the mast an error now is death his forehead only seems above water if they miss him on that tack said lord ipston significantly to liston he'll never see london brig again was the whispered reply 
they carried on till all on shore thought they would run over him or past him but no at ten yards distant they were all at the sail and had it down like lightning and then flucker sprang to the bows the other boy to the helm unfortunately there were but two john stones in the boat and this boy in his hurry actually put the helm to port instead of to starboard christie who stood amidships saw the error she sprang aft flung the boy from the helm and jammed it hard to starboard with her foot the boat answered the helm but too late for flucker the man was four yards from him as the boat drifted by he's a deed mon cried liston on shore the boat's link gave one more little chance the afterpart must drift nearer him thanks to christie flucker flew aft flung himself on his back and seized his sister's petticoats fling yourself over the gunwale screamed he ye'll no hurt eyes haudgy she flung herself boldly over the gunwale the man was sinking her nails touched his hair her fingers entangled themselves in it she gave him a powerful wrench and brought him alongside the boys pinned him like wildcats christie darted away forward to the mast passed a rope round it threw it to the boys in a moment it was under his shoulders christie hauled on it from the forethwart the boys lifted him and they tumbled him gasping and gurgling like a dying salmon into the bottom of the boat and flung net and jackets and sail over him to keep the life in him five dickens created a new school or rather he characterized every young writer of his generation and in a less measure thackeray did the like but reed had no imitators and left none though in certain things he was cleverer than either of these betters of his he knew women better than they and he could paint their manners if not their minds better than both his betters put together why should i say his betters if i do i am again controverting my prime position that the highest type of novelist is he who can most winningly impart the sense of womanhood charles reed could do this beyond dickens and beyond thackeray and so let the fact praise him as it may End of section twenty two